This is The Defrag, I'm Christopher Lawson. If you own any product with a battery, there's a number of important metals that go into making it. Depending on the battery chemistry, it could include materials like lithium, nickel, cobalt or aluminium. Many of these can be sourced from countries like Australia or the United States with well-respected mining operations. The most popular batteries right now are lithium-ion, and companies like Tesla work exclusively with some mines to make sure they have enough supply. Currently, Australia produces the most lithium in the world, so we know that a lot of our lithium is sourced in a responsible way. But when it comes to cobalt, it's a different story. Cobalt is often used to help stabilise a lithium-ion battery. It can help manufacturers make batteries that are safer while increasing energy density and ultimately improving battery life. For electric vehicles, this results in batteries that provide an increased range. However, 70% of the world's cobalt mining happens in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. It's estimated that the DRC has 3.6 million metric tonnes of cobalt, significantly more than any other nation. But our desire to get bigger and better batteries is coming at a significant cost to the communities in the DRC that live in and around these mines. I became interested in exploring cobalt mining primarily, I think, because most of the work that I've done as a filmmaker has been in Africa. I've been pursuing stories, following stories about uh, conflict, civil rights, women's rights, um, and sort of social strife of, of all kinds uh, throughout Africa, um, throughout the course of my career. And when I learned about the um, humanitarian crisis around the cobalt mining industry, it just it sort of struck me as the next big chapter in, in the war for um, control of the global energy sector. Um, and to me, that just sounded like an incredibly important and very compelling story in a landscape that I was already familiar with. This is Michael Davey. Michael is a documentary filmmaker and journalist based in Istanbul, and he recently produced a documentary for Foreign Correspondent, a program which airs on the ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Michael's story explored the cobalt mining industry in the DRC, and it's a story that highlights so many issues with our reliance on cobalt in the manufacturing of batteries. You know, 15 years ago, I made a film in the Democratic Republic of the Congo about the impact of the country's civil war um, on the mountain gorilla population. And I saw how the intersection of conflict and the environment created an enormous um, sort of human catastrophe. And when I read about and, and researched the story of cobalt, um, it had a lot of sort of similar ingredients. Um, you know, the, the, the 70% of the world's cobalt um, comes from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And of that, uh, the vast majority of it comes from uh, the Katanga region in southern DRC. So that's a, a fairly small geographical area with an enormous bounty of, of mineral riches that the world wants and, and wants now. And the pressure that that is putting on the local population and on the environment is just tremendous. And all of that added up to a lot of kind of rich ingredients uh, for telling a, a powerful story. 
you obviously you went there you you were able to you know see a lot of this uh sort of firsthand um who who is controlling a lot of a lot of the mining in the drc well mining i mean the southern drc has been a mining focused sector for the last hundred years basically um until recently it was known as the copper belt um but more recently it's um become sort of the copper cobalt belt and there are there are two forms of cobalt mining really in the southern drc the first is massive scale industrial mining and that's largely dominated by china um Nine, uh, 15 of the 19 largest industrial mines in the DRC uh, that are mining copper and cobalt are, are, are managed and controlled by Chinese companies. So that's a lot of Chinese investment, a lot of Chinese power in that region. And, and they are extracting cobalt on a huge industrial scale. So we're talking um, mining, some, some of the mining concessions there are, you know, like the Tenge uh, Fungurumi mine, which is one of the biggest uh, cobalt mines in the world. It's, it's literally the size of greater Los Angeles. The mining concession is well over a thousand square kilometers in size. Um, and these mining companies are digging out tens of thousands of tons of ore and, and producing thousands upon thousands of tons of, of refined cobalt. While there is a lot of large-scale cobalt mining in the DRC, there's also a lot of informal mining, also known as artisanal mining. And it's this form of mining which is a major issue in our cobalt supply chains. So these are mums and dads and children with a, a, a rusty pickaxe and a broken shovel who are digging and often just scavenging, actually, for, for discarded cobalt, sort of waste cobalt that's that's um, that they pick out of the the waste ore that these industrial mining companies shoved the sides of their mining concessions. So you have thousands of people, um, you know, with no safety gear, no training, no protection, and, and no labor rights, um, sort of digging through these enormous sort of embankments um, of, of waste ore, trying to extract small amounts of cobalt to make, to make a living by. And some of those artisanal miners have, have formed uh, collectives or cooperatives, so sort of small working groups, and they've started their own hand-dug tunnel mines or hand-dug open pit mines sort of around the edges of the big industrial mines as well. So you've got very high-tech, um, large-scale industrial mines, and right next to them, tiny little um, hand-dug uh, Minds where, where, where literally people are working with a, a, a rusty shovel and and they're in their bare feet. Um, so the contrast is is very very dramatic. Do do we know how much of that uh, artisanal mining ends up in the cobalt supply chain, or do we just have no way of being able to to figure that out? The the stats that I uh, that I've come across is that anywhere between ten and 30% of the Congo's output of cobalt comes from hand-dug artisanal mines. So, and to put that in perspective, um, the world's next biggest cobalt producers after the Congo are Russia and Australia. And the, 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 the amount of cobalt produced in hand-dug mines in the Congo 
far outweighs the amount of cobalt that Australia and Russia produce combined. So although these artisanal miners are are, are, are digging with very sort of crude instruments and individually only um, producing a very small amount of cobalt, collectively they're producing an enormous amount of cobalt for the world. What was the most sort of confronting thing that you came across in your reporting on this issue? I think that I think there were two things that struck me really hard when I was there. One was the number of children working in artisanal mines. In 2002, the Congolese government wrote it into the mining code and into the country's national laws that uh, the exploitation of children in terms of labor was completely outlawed. And again, in 2016, the Congolese government, in response to an Amnesty International report on the exploitation of children in the mining sector in the Congo, um, the Congolese government came out and said that they were going to they were going to reinforce the ban on child labor. But we found mines just teeming with children um, working in extremely hazardous conditions, no safety gear, no breathing gear. Um, you know, most of them were barefoot and working in in either open pit or tunnel mines, which collapse on a on a regular basis. You know, and I'd been in the Congo for about three hours, and one of my contacts sent me a cell phone video of a tunnel mine that had collapsed and 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 killed eight people. And in the two weeks that I was there, this was happening over and over and over again. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of the kids, a lot of the people who get killed in these collapses are are, are, are children. Not only that, um, cobalt dust is highly toxic. It can lead to organ failure, heart disease, cancer, uh, birth defects, all sorts of problems. And on top of that, you know, the, these children working in these mines have nobody to, to protect them from sexual predators and sexual exploitation is very common, particularly amongst the young women and girls around the mines. Um, and just on a basic sort of labor level, these people are being paid a dollar, a dollar fifty a day to haul forty kilogram sacks of cobalt out of an open pit mine for eight or ten hours a day, six days a week, with no water breaks, no food breaks. So the the, the sort of exploitation of of young people, of children, was extremely confronting. The other thing that was also astonishing to me was the level of corruption. I mean, everywhere we went, um, we were stopped everywhere we went. And, um, you know, officials were trying to extract bribes from us. Um, I mean, uh, there was one incident where we were actually filming at an open pit, hand dug artisanal mine that was about the size of two soccer fields, teeming with children working there illegally. Um, and we were sort of astonished that that the miners themselves had allowed us to film. And 20 minutes into filming, the local police commissioner showed up. And this is the man whose job it was to ensure that there were no children in the mines. And we thought, okay, we're in trouble now because we're filming this illegal activity. The police have showed up. And this police commissioner just took our uh, Congolese producer to one side spoke to him for five minutes. He came back and said, look, for $50, um, he'll let you continue shooting whatever you want to shoot. 
Um, and for another twenty dollars on top of that, he'll he'll provide you with a security escort for the day. So this was the police commissioner in charge of making sure there are no children in the mines, facilitating us filming the children in the mines. Um, and we encountered that kind of thing almost every day. The issue with artisanal mining in the Congo and the exploitation of children is one that has had a fair bit of attention, and large tech giants like Tesla and Apple have been trying to minimise their use of cobalt because of this. But are these moves from tech giants having any impact on mining in the DRC? That's coming up after this short break. Thanks for listening to The Defrag. Our goal with the show is to build a self-sustaining news brand that dives into and explores the intersection of technology, business, politics, and science. For The Defrag to be a true success, we really need your support. We don't want to be reliant on just having to find advertisers, but we do want the core of our content to remain free. Which is why at our website, thedefrag.com, you can support the show by becoming a member of our free newsletter, or you can become a paid supporter. There are membership plans ranging from just $9 a month up to $50 a month, depending on how you want to support the show. And for your support, you'll get a range of different perks, including an ad-free version of the podcast, access to exclusive VIP events and live streams, and we'll send everyone that signs up a sticker pack. You can find out more at our website, thedefrag.com. Large tech giants like Apple, Panasonic, Samsung, and Tesla are trying to minimize their use of cobalt and make sure that the cobalt they do use is sourced responsibly. Tesla is moving the battery chemistry of a lot of their vehicles across to LFP, or lithium ferrophosphate. LFPs are cheaper to produce and safer than lithium ion, but don't have the same energy density as a lithium ion battery which contains nickel and cobalt. The other challenge we're experiencing right now is that cobalt is often a byproduct from nickel and copper mining, and so its price can fluctuate. Nickel especially has seen significant price rises since the start of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and cobalt has increased in price by around 15% to $82,000 per metric tonne. A lot of tech companies are now opting to work directly with mines to make sure that they control their entire supply chain. But is this having any impact on mining in the Congo? I don't think it has made much difference, to be honest. I, I, I think a lot of these big tech companies that rely heavily on Congolese cobalt have written into their um, sort of corporate contracts and literature policies against the exploitation of children um, in their supply chains. And they will often, when called, um, you know, called to question on this issue, point at their policies and say, well, we have a policy that says that we won't allow our suppliers to exploit child labor. And then, and then that's it. Okay, so they've got a policy, but what are they actually doing to ensure that there are no children or, or other people 
are being exploited uh, in terms of their their labor um, and most of the big tech companies have actually not done work on the ground apple has done more than most companies to um to do its supply chain due diligence but even still um there's the bigger question of if these tech companies the richest companies in the world uh, are relying on congolese cobalt what investment are they making back into the congo to ensure that the congo is not simply being exploited as a resource but is being developed as a nation along the way given how much of our battery technology relies on uh, cobalt that has come from the congo you, you would expect it to be quite a wealthy country based on how much it contributes yeah i mean it, it, it's a sort of overly simplistic question but it was a question i was asking myself a lot when i was there i was like there are only two other regions in the world which are as mineral rich as this one is the persian gulf which has oil and the other is australia which has an enormous mineral wealth in its soil and both of those regions are incredibly prosperous incredibly rich um nations why isn't the congo like australia or like the persian gulf and and obviously the answer is you know is complicated uh, there's been 100 odd years of exploitation of the congo it was a colony that was ripped apart by the belgians it's been uh torn apart by the world's longest civil war um so it's it's it, there's no simple answer to that but when you you boil it down to brass tacks you can't help but wonder why a country as rich in mineral resources as, as this is is still so poor and the answer is you know 99% of the wealth flows either into the pockets of congolese uh bureaucrats and and government officials or it leaves the country and enriches people overseas there's just not enough regulation not enough control um within the country and almost no distribution of the wealth um to the citizens of the country whatsoever now i do want to point out that some of the mining giants operating in the congo do make an effort to provide services and other programs to local communities but the wealth that you see in other nations like in australia in the uae it doesn't seem to exist in the congo and if you are buying a product with a lithium-ion battery, there's a pretty good chance that that battery might contain cobalt that was mined by children. But Michael says there is a glimmer of hope for some of these communities. A very, very small glimmer. And I, I, I met this group of nuns uh, from a, a, a Catholic order called the, uh, the Sisters of the Good Shepherd Order of Nuns. And they're a very small group of nuns working in the mining region of southern DRC who um in response to the fact that there is no functioning government public school system built their own school and then they went into mining communities where where children were working in these cobalt mines and they spoke to parents and said do your children want to come to school and the parents said our children would love to go to school if if we send them to school we lose an income earner from the family we lose a breadwinner from the family and they're talking about 
five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old children who are contributing in a meaningful way to the, the family's income. They said, if we lose one of our children by sending them to your school, we can't feed that child anymore. So the nuns were faced with this this very difficult situation where they wanted to get children out of the cobalt mines and into their school, but in doing so, they were affecting the the livelihoods of the family. And so what they decided to do was raise money and start a feeding program at their school, so they would then be able to go into these mining communities and say, if you let your child come to our school, we'll feed that child one meal a day. And that was enough to tip the balance for for thousands of families, just knowing that their son or daughter would get one meal a day. And and so far, that group of nuns has rescued more than four thousand children from the cobalt mines and put them through school.、Um, and in doing so, they give them one meal a day. And the nuns were telling me that often they'll see the children at the lunch at lunchtime. Cutting their meal allowance in half, wrapping it in paper and putting it in their school bag or in their pocket. And when they said to the children, "Why are you doing that?" they said, "Well, to feed a brother or a sister at home." So that's how desperate the situation is. That these children get half a meal a day, and that's better for them than working in the mines. I mean, if if that's how bad it is, and you've got a group of nuns who are able to to offer one meal a day to these children, why aren't these multi-billion-dollar multinationals doing more? The issues around cobalt mining are quite serious. And if you'd like to learn more about this issue, then I encourage you to go and check out Michael's full story on Foreign Correspondent. I'll put a link in the episode show notes. Also making news today: Germany is warning against the use of products made by the Russian cybersecurity company Kaspersky. The German Federal Office of Information Security, or BSI, issued a warning encouraging users to swap to alternatives that aren't made in Russia. BSI warns that a Russian IT company could be forced to carry out offensive operations against its will, and highlighted concerns given the current conflict with Ukraine. A spokesperson from Kaspersky told TechCrunch that the company did not have any ties with the Russian government, and that the decisions were not made on a technical assessment of its products. The company also said that a peaceful dialogue was the only possible instrument for resolving conflicts, and that war isn't good for anyone. Meta Platforms, the parent company of Facebook, has been fined 17 million euros for breaches of GDPR legislation. The Irish Data Protection Commission, or DPC, fined the company over a series of security issues that affected up to 30 million Facebook users, and which were disclosed by Facebook back in 2018. The DPC found that Meta failed to provide, and I quote, appropriate technical and organisational measures which would enable it to readily demonstrate the security measures that it implemented in practice to protect EU users' data. 
The fine is relatively small considering Facebook has a current market cap of half a trillion dollars and during 2021 had revenue of $117 billion. And Intel is investing 17 billion euros into a new semiconductor manufacturing facility in Germany. It's also investing in R&D across France, Ireland, Italy, Poland and Spain. The new manufacturing hub in Germany will help support the struggling semiconductor supply chain and will result in an additional 3,000 permanent jobs. Intel is also investing an extra 12 billion euros to double its manufacturing capacity in Ireland. The spending is part of Intel's plan to invest 80 billion euros in Europe across the next decade. Defrag is a production of Lawson Media. The show today was produced and hosted by me, Christopher Lawson. If you're enjoying The Defrag and you want to support what we're doing, head across to our website, thedefrag.com, and become a member. You'll get an ad-free version of the podcast, and I'll even send you a sticker pack. That's all we have for today. I'll be back with more tomorrow.